Amen. Well, I definitely appreciate the singing so far this morning. I know that uh, in light of our topic today, continuing the book of Hebrews, uh, Mighty to Save just basically tenderizes my heart. I think just looking, uh, thinking through the words of the song, what it is that God has done for us, being the author of salvation, mighty to save, conquered the grave, understanding what Jesus was willing to do for us personally, is really amazing when we think about who we actually are in the flesh. Going through our uh, series, uh, as we, uh, this is a third in our series of uh, four, with uh, coming out of the book of Hebrews. First one was, uh, he radiates, just establishing the superiority of Jesus Christ. Uh, superior to the angels, superior to everybody that's ever walked on the face of the planet. From there, uh, Brian talked about how Jesus Christ can relate in the, in the last part of the series that he did, in that Jesus was born as we were, in the flesh, subject to temptation, fears, all kinds of things, and having actually endured those things, personally, gives him the ability to totally connect with us and should really encourage us knowing that we're not being held to some crazy, out-of-control standard when it comes into uh, entering into a right relationship with God. So those are the, uh, the three. Today we're uh, going to be taking a look at how Jesus Christ mediates for us personally. We'll be coming out of Hebrews 7, 8, and 9. And one of the things that's uh, really interesting about these chapters, it establishes and walks us through what God established with Moses back in the book of Exodus. And that there was this design for the tabernacle, the tent, the Holy of Holies, all which was representative of what heaven would be like. But it it was really a pale representation in light of what we have today through Christ. And it was really interesting, the degree of preparation the high priest would actually have to go through. If you get some time, pull out Exodus 25 through 28, read those chapters... It's amazing the degree of concern and detail that comes out of those books, right down to the kinds of threads that were used, the kind of stones, the uh, rare uh, minerals, gold, silver, all these things that were incorporated into it. And then on top of that, the high priest, the degree of preparation they had to go through to meet God. One of the things that comes to mind for me, we know that there's a lot of things in society today a lot of jobs that are very challenging, very risky. Um, we've got a, a number of brothers here that uh, get up there on those high wires from time to time with electricity. And I remember talking to John Carter and uh, Ben Hill about just the issues they've got with the, the gear that they have to put on, the, the belts and the tools and the multiple layers of clothing and the different degrees of insulation, so they're protected. Uh, I know that there are times they're probably not super fired up about the heat on a hot day, and the fact that these things don't breathe all that well. But, you know, even the uh, situation with the tsunami in uh, Japan, I mean, those individuals that put on their hazmat suits, the radioactive protection, whatever degree that was, to actually go into that reactor and try to maintain, clean that whole mess up, and who knows what the implications are for their lives down the road when it comes to the radiation that they endured. But it's very similar to what these high priests were dealing with. We know God radiates. We know He's all-powerful. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like getting suited up to go in to the temple, knowing that they were going to be stepping into the very presence of the Creator of all this. Kind of give you an idea here. 
Well, again, in light of uh, the Hebrews series, purpose is to show that God is fulfilling the Old Covenant by giving all men a new covenant and to warn us to make sure we both understand what God has established and that we live in accordance with it. But with the, uh, the situation with the high priest here, I've got a, uh, a slide that kind of uh, breaks it down a little bit. The, the garments that they wore from a standpoint of the turban, what it was lined with, what it was decorated with. They had stones on both shoulders that symbolized the six uh, tribes on one side, six tribes on the other. They had the ephod. I mean, every single detail, right down to on the very hem of the robe, there was these bells. Now, I have to do a little research on this, and that there's a, it's actually more of a myth, a certain aspect of it. But in Exodus 28, verse 35, it says, Aaron is to wear this robe when he serves as priest. When he comes into my presence in the holy place, and when he leaves it, the sound of the bells will be heard, and he will not be killed. I mean, there was a significance to just what was on the hem of his robe. And there, there were these, this myth that was out there that these guys actually went in with a rope around their waist, so that if they didn't do things quite right and were struck dead in the process, that the, high, the other priest would be able to drag him on out. I went back and I read the Sirach. It gets into a lot of different details on that, but that would have actually been in violation of what God established as far as what they wore. But again, you can imagine, in light of even what we see here in this passage in Exodus, the intensity of what these guys were going through and the degree of preparation to meet God. We're going to go ahead and start out here in uh, Hebrews 7, verse 23. And with that, there's a couple things that I wanted to go through moving forward. Kind of the definition of a covenant and what it means to mediate. Covenant, as we can see on the screen here, is a binding agreement in a relationship between two parties. Uh, a lot of us have probably more of those than we'd like to admit to, but we enter into a covenant, an agreement, when we uh, get a credit card. You uh, fill out a rental agreement when you rent a car, buying a car, insurance, marriage. All these things are covenants, and they're binding agreements, a relationship between two parties. And this is what God has established for us. You have the Old Covenant, which was on earth. Again, it was a shadow of what was to come. We have the New Covenant that was ushered in through Christ, and ultimately the death of Christ. That's when a inheritance actually comes into place, is when the individual that sets it up dies. And this is what we have with Jesus Christ and the New Covenant. When it comes to mediation, we can see that here. To mediate is to settle disputes, strikes, etc., as an intermediary between parties, reconcile. Obviously, Jesus Christ reconciles us to God to bring about an agreement, accord, truce, peace, etc. Again, as an intermediary between parties by compromise, reconciliation, removal of misunderstanding, or in our case, the removal of sin in our lives before God. And finally, the act between parties in effect an agreement, compromise, reconciliation, again, kind of sums us up what Jesus Christ has done for us personally. In Hebrews 7, verse 23, it starts out, the better way to, basically what we've got here too is, again, what's been ushered in, this is being taught to Jews at the time where there were some degrees of lack of clarity. They started reverting back to some of their old uh, habits and means of worship. And again, what the author of Hebrews do is establishing how all that stuff was meaningless and the need to focus on what we have today through Christ. So verse 23, it reads, now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. So, obviously, a high priest died off. What happened? Had to plug another one in. 
Verse 24 says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. And I think as Christians really understanding, this is incredible. Knowing that we don't have to get baptized over and over and over again to enter into the presence of God. Amen? Jesus died once. That was the final sacrifice. It was the perfect sacrifice. It gives us the ability to have Him interceding for us even when we screw up. And that's got to be encouraging. That's something we need to remember. It doesn't matter how messed up we can be. It doesn't matter what it is that we think that has taken place that can separate us from God. Once we've surrendered to Christ and made Jesus Lord, we have this incredible uh, opportunity called repentance, which is part of this covenant that we've been given through God. So it says, such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which comes after the law appointed the Son, who's been made perfect forever. Now, the, uh, in verse 25 of Hebrews 7, in the uh, TLB Bible, says that he is able to save completely all that come to God through him. And this next part here is pretty cool. It says, since he will live forever, he will always be there to remind God that he has paid for their sins with his blood. I mean, isn't that awesome? Jesus is there to let God know continually on our behalf that He sacrificed for us once and for all, and that blood gives us the ability to walk in a right relationship with God. You know, the thing that's awesome about this, this has been God's plan from the beginning. We all need a mediator, a priest, in the light of Jesus, to come to God. You know, I think one of the things with the Old Covenant, again, is as these men, the priests died, they weren't allowed to continue. Obviously, they had to throw somebody else in there. Generation after generation, there was a new priest. As these mere men of a fallen people, these priests had to atone for their own sins before they could even enter into the temple. And with this, it was sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice that had to be offered over and over and over and over again for themselves and others. Hebrews 8, verse 5. says, they serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. And then in verse 12, it says, And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And when God speaks of a new covenant, it means that He has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date, and will soon disappear, in verse 13. You know, when I think of these, uh, this situation here, the sacrifices and offerings of the early earthly temple and tabernacle, how many of you remember the uh, Easy Bake Oven? Quite a few of you. 
You know, I know, brothers, you're probably not going to be uh, honest about this. I- I'm going to share, honestly. I remember seeing those commercials as a little kid. You know, and this was back when Hot Wheels was real big, and, you know, Hot Wheels were cool. I had my Hot Wheels track with a little loop-de-loop, you know, the little thing that you hold, would screw onto the back of a chair. I-, I love my Hot Wheels. I don't know if that's why I ended up getting into car sales, but uh, I love collecting those things. But, getting back to the Easy Bake Oven. We can get this to move forward here. I know for me personally, this was something that kind of excited me. I remember watching the commercials on TV, and, you know, they'd mix up their little batter, and they'd put it in a little thing, and they'd slide it in, and all these incredible-looking things came out of it. I wanted one! I mean, to be able to cook up those kinds of cookies and cakes whenever I wanted in my own bedroom? I mean, come on! I know there's a few of you guys out there that feel the same way about it, or did. But the, the bottom line was, this was a, a really cheesy imitation of what we have in the kitchen. It's a shadow. It's a copy. It's kind of like what we have with the Old Covenant. Now, I think most of you know I, I do like to cook from time to time. Uh, my, my ideal kitchen was a number of years back. We had a place out in uh, Santa Rosa Valley. Uh, it was all Viking uh, appliances. I had... A five-burner stove, I had a four-burner stove on an island, a couple of ovens, bread warmers, all that stuff. I mean, that kitchen was heaven for me. Henry, I think, could probably relate. I mean, there's nothing better than gas either. I hate electric stoves, have my share of those through the years. But, you know, here's the real deal, right? We got this nice Viking range here, five-burner stove. You got the big old turkey inside that thing. I mean, can you cook a turkey in an easy-bake oven? You know, and I remember how disappointed I was the first time I, there was a young lady down the street that got hooked up with the Easy Bake Oven. She invited me on over. <laughs> I guess it's kind of taking tea party to a whole other level, right? And you know, actually that was part of it too, but we had our actual, I don't know if she called them crumpets or whatever it was that came out of the thing, but I remember looking at those and thinking, man, this looks good. And then, any of you remember eating any of that stuff? You bite in, and what happens? It's sort of kind of warm. It's sort of kind of cooked but gooey. And uh, it didn't taste or resemble anything like it was supposed to. But again, this is what we have with the old covenant transitioning to the new covenant. I mean, you look at the Easy Bake Oven, most people look at it and say, well, yeah, it's sort of kind of an oven, right? Now, that's exactly what we have with the, with the Holy of Holies, the old tabernacle. But then Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, ushers in the new covenant, and... And there is such a contrast between the two. You know, uh, when it comes to that, this illustration that we have, it gives us an idea of what the perfect sacrifice which Christ would one day offer to each and every one of us. You know, the sacrifices that took place prior to that with those animals were only a copy of what Christ could effectively do for us personally as he mediates between us and God and heaven. Real forgiveness... Not not the, you know, easy-bake oven type of stuff. And I think a lot of that kind of plays into religion today. You know, we don't want to embrace the new covenant. We don't want to embrace the guidelines, the direction that God has given us personally through Christ. But, you know, that's the only way to have Jesus mediate for us. That real forgiveness comes through Christ's death. And with that, only the death of Jesus Christ could overcome sin once and for all forever. We know Romans 6.23 that the wage of sin is what? We also know that Jesus was sinless, right? 
So with that, was the grave able to hold him? No. And this is what's so awesome about what we have through God today. That sacrifice not only cleanses us, but it clears the conscience. It provides forgiveness. And the thing is so incredibly awesome about it, it never needs repetition. Hebrews 9, verse 13. I'm battling uh, the early stages of bronchitis here, so I have to kind of uh, water the pipes here a little. And I'm drying out. Maybe that's a Claritin. But anyway, Hebrews 9, verse 13. It says, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Verse 14. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit. Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance. Now, who does God call? He wants everyone to have the opportunity. I mean, why are we here? We just show up. We were called. And God's done it the same way through generations, by putting people in people's lives, relationships, That's the thing that's so incredibly key. So Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. You know, back in uh, 2004 on NBC, they started up a a series on TV called Extreme Makeover. And uh, this one's one's kind of, can be a little sketchy in light of what we have today with whatever the extreme body makeover is. And, you know, we have extreme house makeover and there's extreme this, that, and the other. But this one, these women would, would write in, and they had certain issues. They weren't fired up about certain aspects of their body, the shape they were in. I remember seeing this one episode, and this woman had a nose that she wasn't happy with. And honestly, I thought she looked great. But for whatever reason, it created some insecurity in her, so she became part of this program. She had her nose done. There were some other enhancements that took place. They had her working out, losing weight. You know, to, and, and, you know, I mean, hair, makeup, the whole bit. They unveil her, I think it was like 8, 12 weeks later, and just... Didn't even look like the same person. And I think with that, we can, we can be a little insecure about our outward appearance. Uh, I'd be a liar not to say, you know, to say that I've never thought about maybe getting a hair transplant at some time as it continues to thin on out. Um, you know, I've, I've gone through varying stages where I've dieted down and I've lost a lot of weight and I got down to 12% body fat and you still got this thing right here. Which, you know, it's like, well, you know, they got this new laser lipo thing. I mean, what's that all about? You know, just, uh, just being real, you know? And, uh, and that's sometimes how we can feel about our relationship when it comes to God as well. You know, there are these things called guilt. I, I remember as an agnostic person, areas of my life that, for whatever reason, I stated I would not compromise. And that I would not do. And then remembering how those compromises slipped in, and then ultimately the feeling that took place after, being guilty about what had taken place. And this was without any understanding or belief in a heaven or hell or any of that, just not feeling good. And I think this is, as people, this is where we can go. And I think on a spiritual level, though, we can be deceived about where we're at on a spiritual level, our spiritual condition. You know, I'm not that bad. You know, we we hear it. Well, I've kept the Ten Commandments. You know, and then they, you start walking people through what the Ten Commandments are. Oh, well, yeah, I guess I kind of screwed that one up. And, yeah, I kind of missed that one. And, 
Well, yeah, I didn't murder anybody. And it's really understanding that it's not about that. It's about who we are before God. And that God gives us a way of dealing with the ugliness of sin. Sin is ugly. And the, the issue with that is what do we do with it? We try to dress it up. Drunkenness. Well, you know, I'm just getting my buzz on. It's not going to hurt anybody. Yet how many people die because of alcohol-related or drug-related accidents on an annual basis? You know, selfishness. Well, I'm not selfish. I'm just looking out for number one. No one else is going to. You know, I, the, the one that, the one that kind of blows me away today, and it seems to be where things are going more and more and more, is immorality. Calling immorality what it is. But, you know, how is this justified today? Well, I just want to make sure, you know, we're compatible. Kind of, you know, test the waters a little bit before I really am willing to make a commitment. Folly. It's all good. Right? All paths lead to heaven. Right? It's kind of God we have, right? It's all loving God. Well, do all paths lead to heaven? And I think this is interesting when we think about Jesus Christ and what Jesus has accomplished. And, you know, there's over 4,300 sects of various religions and beliefs out there today. But I'm just going to tag a couple of the main ones that we're probably most familiar with. you got Buddha, right? Kind of a good guy. Founder of Buddhism. He died 483 BCE. You know what happened to him after he died? He was cremated. And then from there, his ashes are in various spots throughout the area that he roamed in, in different monuments or stupas. You've got Confucius. Confucius, the founder of Confucianism. He died 479 BCE. He's buried in Confucius Cemetery in the city of Chufu, Shandong. So you can go find where Buddha's buried. You can find where Confucius is buried. Muhammad, another prophet. Prophet of Islam, died June 8, 1632 in his home. He was actually poisoned, and that's where he's buried. You can find his remains in the city of Medina. See, none of these men escaped the grave. And none of these men are capable of forgiving sin. And without sin being forgiven, is there the ability to have a right relationship with God? No. And that's why we need to understand what the new covenant is and what the new covenant's all about. And that Jesus Christ, as we sang about today, he conquered the grave. He's the author of salvation. Jesus Christ is the only way. And I think, you know, we really need to understand when we're willing to admit sin's ugliness, God is willing to give us the spiritual makeover we need, and it comes only through the mediation of Christ. Well, why do we need Christ? Well, again, it's a good thing to get into the Bible because the Bible has all the answers. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. And because of sin, what does that mean for us? Without Christ, we will always fall short of the glory of God. See, Jesus comes in and he mediates. In Hebrews 9, verse 15, it says... That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that they had committed 
under the first covenant. And with that, Acts 2, verse 36, is a passage most of us are very familiar with. In Acts 2, verse 36, it reads, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter's response, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And once that takes place, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is the real deal. His blood cleanses our sin away. And this thing is so awesome. We look new to God. We are a new creation. We are fresh, blemish-free, pure, beautiful before God. Isn't that how you want God? And that's the thing so awesome about this new covenant in Jesus Christ. That's exactly how we look to God. If we're willing to submit to what He's established. See, when Jesus comes into our lives, he gives us that extreme makeover. God sees us for who we've become in Christ. He is attracted to us because, guess what God sees when he looks at us? He sees the image of his son. How awesome is that? He sees us growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And again, Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, And I will forgive their wickedness, and this is, again, guys, you need to really, you may even want to print this and put it on the mirror in your bathroom. Because we all know we spend a little bit of time in there, amen? But Hebrews 9, verse 12, he says, I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Shouldn't that give you a clear conscience? But I think what happens is, Satan, we know, is the accuser, and what does Satan do? Ah, you're not that good, you're terrible, look what you've done, you did this again, you said you were never going to do that again. And Satan's never going to say anything about repentance, right? So he wants us to get hard-hearted. He wants us to be guilted out. He wants us to forget passages like this. He wants us to no longer embrace God, because he knows there's going to be a point in time where you get so hard-hearted and discouraged that you decide to walk away. But that's why God calls us throughout the Scriptures, remember, 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 remember. All throughout the Old Testament, what did people do? They built sites to commemorate the victories and the miracles that took place that God delivered them through, the different situations that were involved. We need to do the same thing. We need to remember the miracles in our lives. So if we do that, we all have experienced them. All of us have, that have invited Jesus Christ in and made him Lord of our lives and accepted that and been baptized for the forgiveness of sins and have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, we've seen how God works in our lives over and over and over again. I mean, I got 27 years of marriage to attest to that. It wouldn't have been that high number, I guarantee you, without God in my life. If we'd gotten through the first five, well, let's just say, we probably wouldn't have. I'm glad I don't have to entertain that idea a whole lot. Amen. I'm super grateful for the incredible wife that I have, but I guarantee you, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the miracles that had occurred in our lives through Christ. We got any uh, jocks in the room? Okay, we only got two or three guys. It's not a, I'm not going to invite anybody up on stage. Is that, is that the reticence? I appreciate Rudy, man. He didn't blink an eyelash, man. I was like, okay, I, I'm up. I, I know that you guys are into sports. I've seen it. Softball, volleyball, whatever the case may be. And, you know, as we get older, the assorted injuries that kind of go along with that. 
I mean, we got the guys, you know, walking around with, with the backs and, you know, the different scars from that. You can tell kind of how medicine has progressed through the years, too. It's like, I had knee surgery. I talk about it. People look at me like, dude, you're full of it. There's like two little pinholes where they went in and, and trimmed my meniscus. But we, we like talking about and bragging about those scars, right? Kind of reminds me, this is probably before most of your times, but Jaws, when Richard Dreyfus and uh, the captain, whatever his name was, were sitting there and, you know, uh, the, the captain squeezes the aluminum can and Richard Dreyfus squeezes the foam cup and, you know, and then uh, the, the captain shows a scar from a bite of some shark and, you know, Richard pulls up his pants and has a scar from when he skinned his knee as a kid and, you know, they just kind of back and forth with this stuff. And that's kind of how it is when it comes to sports. For guys, some women as well, I don't want to, you know, be gender biased here. I, there's probably a few of you that take pride in your battle wounds. But, you know, we like, and it's interesting, do we, we view those things as being ugly? Uh, not really. It's kind of cool. And I think what it gets down to is beauty is in the eye of the beholder, is it not? And this is what I love about what Jesus has done for us, because God is our beholder. And through Christ, he's the one that makes us beautiful, and we are beautiful to him. Our beauty comes from Jesus Christ. We're made beautiful in the blood of Christ. I mean, you think about the sacrifice. You think about what he went through. We talked about the high priest. Jesus' preparation was throughout his entire lifetime. So that we would have the ability to be ushered in to the kingdom. Continuing in Romans 6, verse 1. Romans 6, verse 1 reads, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. Again, with what we saw established here in Hebrews, and we see here in this passage in Romans, Jesus eliminates our guilt. He cleanses our conscience. And he gives us the ability to live a new life. We are empowered. We have the ability to change, to grow, to overcome. Because Christ died once, and with that, we don't slip in and out of grace. It doesn't work that way. God frees us up through Christ to actually live a life full of hope and of purpose. You know, I think we've got to change our paradigm a little bit. The Christian life isn't about what we give up, but what we get. It raises us from death and gives us life. The slavery to sin is broken. Freedom to live for God breaks into our lives. And then that peace that is talked about throughout the Scriptures that transcends all understanding, becomes ours. You know, as we talked about earlier, we have extreme sports, extreme dating, extreme makeovers, extreme this, that, and the other. It isn't a time that we have some extreme Christians who are making a difference in our world and really take a stand and understand the gift that we've been given through this new covenant that was ushered in through Christ. We ready as Christians to be those extreme Christians? Well, my wife's online with that. What about the rest of you? It's good to have your wife by your side, but it's even better to have the whole congregation. Amen? And, you know, first, and, you know, whatever about the response. But, guys, on a heart level, we need to really think this through. Do we understand what we've been given? Do we understand what we have? 
Do we understand what God has done for us personally? I mean, it just boggles my mind that He would even take interest in me. And He's done that with each and every one of us. And I think really even thinking things through as a congregation, look around. We got a few empty seats. A few empty uh, slots in the parking lot. Is this Temple Menorah? It's not. We don't have any excuses as to why we can't get our friends, family, those that we work with, those that we work for, dry cleaners, grocers, whoever it is, on out to church. Absolutely no excuse. Satan will get in there and mess with you and, you know, tell you, well, you know, you do this, maybe your friends are going to reject you or whatever. But you know what? If we, ex- if we talk about the extreme makeover that God has done for us, do you honestly think that there aren't people out there that might be interested in hearing what you have to say? I think so. That's why I'm here. So through how God worked in their lives personally and what God can do for each and every one of us. And this is the thing that's so incredibly awesome about Christ. In Hebrews 9, verse 22, says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that come to judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice. He will come, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for Him. You know, I can simplify this whole message today with just this one verse, verse 28. Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. You know why it doesn't say all people? Render to Christ? No, but there will be many. And the many of us can help facilitate that many if we really embrace this passage and understand, again, what has taken place for us. See, there's only one of two places for sin to rest. Either sin rests on us, Christ. See, for those who have not accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who have not trusted Him, there is a judgment without mediation. Now, I don't know about you, if, I'm, uh, if I were to end up in the courtroom for something, or if I was being sued for something, I think I'm an okay guy, you know, relatively sharp. But you know what? I'm not going to try and mediate for myself. I mean, aren't most of us in a position where we would try to hire someone that knows what they're talking about and doing, a professional do that for us? It's kind of interesting. In this life, you basically have people that are saying, you know what? I got this dialed in. I'm not that bad. It's not that big a deal. Do you honestly believe for an instant that you'd even be able to open your mouth before God, and come to your own defense. We really need to think that through. God is awesome. Jesus Christ is awesome. We know what that sacrifice represents. We know what God has done for us. But why are there some of you here today that are waiting for tomorrow, or the next day, or next week, or next month, or next year when it's more convenient? And we know in the book of James, chapter 4, our lives are but a mist. We're not promised tomorrow. Yet many of us live as though we're immortal right now, and we're not. The only immortality that rests for us is if we're willing to put our sin on Christ and be surrendered to Him, 
And then guess what? Come judgment day, you don't even need to worry about opening your mouth. I know I'm probably going to be sitting there with my jaw on the ground, just gawking. And Satan's going to be there, throwing all the gunk out that I've done. And Jesus is going to let God know that, you know what, I don't know what the heck he's talking about. This guy's one of ours. I don't, I don't show anything here about any of the stuff Satan's talking about. And God's going to say, come on in. And I'm glad I'm not going to have to say anything other at that point in time. And thank you, sir. <laughs> but this is the kind of God that we have. No one who appears before God for judgment without mediation will be saved. So today, if your sin rests on you, there is nothing that can remove it but the death of Christ. It's time to surrender. It's time to wave the white flag. If you're in wrestling, it's time to tap out. Drop your guard and your pride. Humble yourself and get help. See, Jesus' death on the cross for us means that we no longer have to be saved, slaves to sin. He completely pays the penalty for anything that's ever gone on in our life that was not in accordance with what God has established. You know, our response to His grace is to give up our lives, make Him Lord, and live a life of freedom in that grace. Now, the challenge today is that many want a Savior, but few really want to submit to Him as Lord. Final slide here. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. First Thessalonians 2a, just kind of putting into practice what we've gone through the, the uh, passages in Hebrews today. First Thessalonians 2a reads, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you've become so dear to us. You know, thinking through this passage, isn't that why we're here? There are individuals that love the gospel of God. They understood what the good news was all about. And what Jesus did 2,000 years ago in order for us to have a right relationship with God. And they were willing to share their lives as well. Not just scripture, not just religiosity. But I remember those people that invited me in. Gave me the opportunity to see what they were about. And I appreciate this conversation I had with Owen Thomas a ways back. When, they were, when he was having the, the uh, Steve Lounsbury, I believe, was the individual that studied the Bible with him. You know, Steve was the minister guy. And Owen was a little skeptical. Not that, you know, Owen's a skeptical guy, but he was in this particular situation. And he invited a couple of the other guys that he knew that were part of the church to study with him. He didn't want Steve Lounsbury in the mix. So he wanted to see if it really checked out, if this was just something the minister did or something the church was about. And I think as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as disciples, we need to get back to this is what the body of Christ is about. It's not just me or a community group leader or a family group leader or an usher or whatever. But each and every one of us has this conviction that we've gone through that extreme makeover. We have that life to the full. We're living as new creations before God. And that willingness to really express that and share that with others. So, as you see here, live as if we truly believe Jesus died for our sins and presents us pure and blameless before God. Love as we have been loved. For those of us that are brothers and sisters in Christ that are part of the South Bay Church, we were loved into the kingdom, were we not? People spending all kinds of hours studying the Bible with us, inviting us into their homes, serving us meals, watching our kids, doing whatever it took so we had the opportunity to hear the Scriptures and to be able to examine their lives as well. So love as we have been loved. And then ultimately, 
express our gratitude by sharing the gospel and our extreme makeover to others. Uh, it's real simple. Being a Christian isn't all that complicated. I think sometimes we make it more complicated than it actually is, but it's, it's basic. This passage for me sums it up. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We do these two things, guys. There's absolutely no reason for this place not to be filled up within a year or two. And I, I hope each of us believe that we have something to offer. For those of you that are visiting, if in sitting and listening to this, you realize that that sin still sits on you, my advice to you is tap the shoulder of whoever brought you on out, get them to take you into the Scriptures, give you a little bit deeper look at this so that you can embrace this for yourself and you can sleep nice not having to worry about what's going to happen when you die. For me, it was going into nothingness. I'm so grateful that God has shown me there's so much more. Right now, we're about to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. You know, this is something that Jesus instructed his disciples to take part of in commemoration of exactly what we've looked at here today in Hebrews 7, 8, and 9. And I think as we, we think about this, keep this in mind. Jesus died once for all. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. He died for the sins of people you've yet to bring out that you know that as we're sitting here talking about it today, you need to get on out so they can hear this message preached. It really does us no good to remember what he has done for us if he's not Lord of our life. If he's not Lord of your life, it's just juice and crackers. That's the reality of it. There's no real significance to it beyond that. If he is Lord of your life, the Lord's Supper is a powerful reminder of what Jesus has done and is still doing as he mediates for us each and every hour of each and every day of our lives. So as we approach the Lord's table here this morning, let's pause for a few moments and reflect on what we have read, and what we've heard this morning. Jesus is our high priest, and he's our only form of mediation before God. Amen? Let's go to the Father in prayer. Oh, Father, I'm super grateful for the opportunity that you have given me to be able to preach this morning, just knowing the preparation that went into it, the passages that I had the opportunity to read, the how refreshing it was to really look at the extents that you were willing to go to so that I could be called your son. And I know, Father, as a congregation, as we sit here, we are all grateful for the blood of Christ. We're grateful for the sacrifice that took place. We're grateful that you would even think about us, and beyond that, step down out of heaven to walk this earth, so we would have the opportunity to know you, to be able to call upon you, to be able to surrender to you, and ultimately spend eternity in heaven with you. Father, I pray that we never lose sight of the forgiveness that took place through the waters of baptism. The fact that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit residing within us. And with that, just a constant reminder and calling to do exactly what we see in First Thessalonians. And then to really love you, to love the gospel, and to share that with others as well. Father, thank you for sharing us your best by coming down in the flesh as Jesus Christ. And again, giving us an opportunity to be able to spend eternity in heaven with you and those we love. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.